have your Bibles this morning, we will be in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and uh, when you find your place, if you would stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, and those of you that are with us, uh, that are visitors, uh, please come back and be with us next Sunday, as Pastor Josh will be back next Sunday, and uh, he'll be ready to go. Uh, he's been fishing and catching sharks, and uh, so hopefully he has all ten fingers when he gets back, right? Um, so we're looking forward to having him back uh, next week. But we're in John chapter 15 this morning. I'll read the first 11 verses, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. John chapter 15, verse 1, the word of the Lord says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth much fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If I abide, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if ye abide in me, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask and you what you will, and it will be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Verse 11, for these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's pray. Father, we come come humbly before your throne. Lord, it is good to be in your house. Lord, we come to seek you, not the opinions of man. Lord, we come to hear your word and hear it lifted up. Lord, you tell us in your word that if we lift you up, you will draw men unto you. Father, I pray through this message that you would speak to hearts, speak to my heart too, Lord. Give me the words to speak with clarity of thought. May your word do its perfect will and its perfect work in this place this morning. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We ask all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, every time I open this text and I read it, it reminds me of my childhood. I grew up in a small town uh, about an hour north of here, Urbana, Ohio. Uh, anybody from there? Uh, all right, so no urbanites that are here today except for myself. Um, but anyways, I grew up in a small town. Uh, we had a grapevine in our backyard. And like any good kid, we left that grapevine alone. No, we messed with that grapevine all the time. We would pull grapes off of it. We had grape fights, my friends, my cousins, my sister. We would just pull these grapes off, and we would throw them at each other, throw them up against the house. I'm sure mom could have used them to make jam or jelly, but we had better things as kids to do, right? And so uh, we, we would even take some of these grapes as they, we let some of them ripe, uh, and we would take them to the camper that was out back, and we would get in the camper, and we'd eat these grapes, and we'd find some stale peanuts that were in the camper as well. Don't know why, looking back on it all these years later, why we thought that was a good idea to eat the nasty, stale peanuts and the grapes, but that's what we did. And so this is, as, as we open this text this morning, just to help us get our minds around John chapter 15, uh, Jesus here is uh, teaching no less than probably 24 hours before his arrest and crucifixion. And uh, this is where Jesus is at. And this is the last of the seven I am statements that you find in the book of John. And Jesus Christ has declared he is, he just declared in John chapter 14, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. And so these comments followed, John chapter 15 follows that, and it follows up in, in their discourse from the upper room to the journey to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
as he's speaking this, there's grapevines throughout Israel. I've never personally been there, but it, it is very fruitful, a lot of grapevines. And so as he's walking along, there would have been this vivid imagery. And that's what Jesus used a lot of times to teach with, was the imagery that he saw around him in his day-to-day life. And so as he's doing that, he's showing this to his disciples, and he's beginning to display to them the vine, the true vine, and the branches. And so I want to begin by asking a few questions this morning. What is the true nature of a Christian's relationship to Christ? How do we understand the spiritual reality of our union with God, our union with Christ? How do we understand those things? And I think the Bible gives us some clear displays of that in the scriptures as he as, as God's word reveals to us, it's, it's similar to a father and a child. We see that in the scriptures. We also see that there's a king, a kingdom, and the king is over the kingdom and his subjects. We also see that there's a creator in relationship to his creation. We also notice in scripture that there is a shepherd and the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep and the head to the body. And so this is how scripture depicts or outlines these things for us. They all convey some aspect of relationship to the Lord. A shared life, a shared community, a shared characteristic, sovereign power, controlled direction, obedience, provision, protection, and feeding. These are all tied together as metaphors that we can see unfolding in the scriptures. So today we have another one set before us, the vine and the branches. And so as we look at it this morning, as we looked at the first 11 verses, nine times in the first 11 verses, you see the word abide. You see the word continue in verse 9, and you see the word remain in verse 11. Immediately, we notice that there's four identities in this passage. There's the, the vine, the true vine, which is Jesus. We see that there's a husbandman, which is God the Father, and then there's two types of branches. And so as we look at this this morning, I would ask, what branch are you? And we will look at the scriptures and see whether we are a branch that abides and that we are a branch that bears fruit, or are we a non-bearing branch of the vine today? And so let's look at this, because the Bible gives us stark warnings about just being outwardly attached to Jesus. Um, For many years of my life, I, I had nothing to do with God. But other times, when I started to go to church, I was loosely attached on the outside. I went to church, but I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into my kingdom, or into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out many devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so there's a a stark warning of just being loosely attached to Christ. Just superficial. So let's look at the first point today, the true vine. And when we look at the true vine, we see that there in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. And many times as I read this over the years, it, it just says, okay, I just kind of picture Jesus as the vine. But there's some really deep stuff when you start unpacking what this truly means. We go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and, and Moses came before God in the burning bush. And he's, he's telling Moses to go back to the Israelites and to, to proclaim what God has told him. And he says, who shall I say that told me this? And God says, I am that I am, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. This is the tetragrammaton, the, ex, the, the eternally existent one, the always is, the always was, and the always that will be. And so this is him. This is God the Father. This is what Jesus is saying. He says that I am the true vine. It is a loaded meaning. It's talking about his deity. It's talking about him being in equality with God the Father. When Jesus says he's the true vine, we need to know that in the Old Testament, there was an imagery of the vine. And in the Old Testament, as you look at the vine, the vine usually referred to the people of God, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, if you came across an imagery of of someone or something being the vine, again, that was God's people. 
oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see that it's very much used in a negative connotation. Um, there's not much positivity when it's referring to this vine of the nation of Israel and being a vine of God. What I mean by that is if we look at Isaiah chapter 5 this morning. I'll read verse 1 through 4. It says, Now when I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard, my well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it in and gathered out of the stones thereof and planted it within the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. Verse 3 says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard? What have I not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And so God is saying, hey, I've transplanted Israel out of the nation of Egypt, and I've transplanted them into the land of Canaan. He said, I've given them every possible benefit. We see that in Psalms 80, verse 8 and 9. He says, thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast the heathen, out the heathen, and planted it. Thou preparest room before it. And didst cause it to take deep root and filled the land. So any of you that have had a garden this year, or you've had a garden in the past, you prepare the garden, you till the soil, get the rocks out of it. Because when it comes harvest time, you want to have a fruitful harvest. You do everything right. You may put a fence up to keep the rabbits and the critters out of it. You do all these proper steps to give it a good soil, a good base to start with. And then also you eliminate what would cause it harm. And, and God is saying, I've set all these things in place for the nation of Israel. I took care of all their needs so that it might produce grapes. It might produce fruit. And the nation of Israel was always supposed to be a light pointing the Gentiles to God. But they missed that opportunity. Instead of practicing justice, it practiced oppression. Instead of producing righteousness, it produced unrighteousness. God is asking in verse 4, what more could I have done? He, he set it all up. It's up to them to be faithful to God. Let's look at Israel's response in verse 5 through 7. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and breaking down. The wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that the, they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And so the problem was with Israel's response to God, their faithfulness. God did not move. God was not moving. It's, it's us, it's Israel that is prone to wander, right? So they left God. They were prone to wander. Look what verse 11 says in Isaiah 5. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. They were getting drunk. Verse 8 says, Woe unto them that join house to house and lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. They were getting greedy. They were expanding house to house, field to field. And Hosea chapter 10 verse 1 says, Israel is an empty vine. Jeremiah 2 verse 21 says, Yet I have had planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? So then what God does is as they've not chosen him, they, they, they've chosen to prone to wander. They've walked away from him. He takes those hedges of protection away from them. At the end of Isaiah chapter 5, verse 30, it says, And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, behold, darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkness in, he in the heavens thereof. And so Israel is then taken into Babylonian captivity. They come in, they start taking the Israelites away, take them into Babylonian captivity. And so, if you were a first century Jew at this time, and you hear Jesus talking about being the true vine, this vine terminology, 
It almost was always a pronouncement of judgment in those days. God prunes out Israel. He cuts them off for the time being. They are no longer the choice vine, which was to draw the nations to God. The problem was they were professing but not possessing in their hearts. Israel as a nation was broken off, cut away, and judged because of unbelief. And Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 21 and the parable of the landowners. And we see in verse 43 of Matthew 21, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. This nation that he's talking about is the Gentile nation. God turns, he sets Israel aside. He will come back after we're raptured up and and focus on Israel. But in the meantime, he's turned from them into the Gentile nations. He's allowed the Gentiles to be the method, the church age that we see today. And so Romans 11 says this, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Because of Israel's unbelief, they were broken off. And thou, hast, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branch, take heed lest he also spare not thee. And so if God is willing to set aside Israel, the chosen people, to focus on the Gentiles, let us not be high-minded, is what he's telling us there. He's saying, hey, if, if he's willing to, to, to cut off Israel, don't get high-minded in our own ways, because if he didn't spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare the wild branches either. Yet Jesus here, in, this, in this, this account of John chapter 15, Jesus here is turning this, this vine terminology on its head, basically. And what I mean by that, he's saying that he is the true vine. In short, he's saying, I'm doing what you could not do. I am being what you could not be. There's nothing short, this is nothing short of a gospel declaration here. It's just as much as Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This declaration by Jesus here, he's saying, hey, I'm stepping into this banner of failure that is over their lives, that's over our lives, and essentially is saying, I've got this. I am the true vine. Have you not? He says, you have not and you cannot bear fruit that is worthy, that pleases God. We can't work our way to heaven. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. Um, and so you, you cannot work your way there. And, and Jesus is, is taking this, this picture of the vine, and he's saying, I am the true vine. I am the way to heaven. I am what is what you could not do. Um, so the second point today is the husbandman. It's the shortest point of the message today, the husbandman. Uh, we don't use that term a lot today. We probably use a more uh, term of a gardener would be what it would be, we, we call it, or a vine dresser. And so Jesus here is declaring that his father was the husbandman. He's the vine dresser. He's the one that oversees the vineyard. Um, he had sent his one and only begotten son so that he could make a way for us to be restored. He, he was the true vine to secure salvation for the entire world. The father watched over and he cared for the well-being of the vineyard. He, he watched and he cared for the vine. While, he, while Jesus was on earth, he gave him the Holy Spirit as well to guide. And, and so when we see this stuff, the father watched over him and he cared for him and he cared for every aspect of the vineyard. He cared for the vine. And can I tell you this morning, he cares for you? That should be comforting for us this morning. That he cared enough to send forth his son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if you are in Christ this morning and you are in the vine, you are part of the vineyard. Uh, God, God the Father watches over and he provides for his people. And also we notice in this text that God does one of two things. God the Father does one of two things. He removes the branches that did not bear fruit, and he purges the branches that do bear fruit. So the third point today is the branches. I want to break that down a little bit, a little more detail. Uh, we see that in verses 2 through 11. Again, the setting here is in John chapter 15. It's, it's taking place Thursday night in the upper room between there and, and the, the walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
while celebrating the, the Passover, Jesus with his disciples the night before he is crucified is the setting. And we have to go back a couple chapters, and as Jesus is, is unpacking this to the disciples, and they're walking, and there's many vineyards as you're walking through Israel, and, and you're walking through Jerusalem there, and, and so it would have been very tangible to them to see these grapevines, these, these, these vineyards. And we have to keep in mind, back in John chapter 13, that Judas has been exposed. Satan has entered into Judas. So we see that there's only 11 disciples that remain. There's one disciple who no longer abides. And so this is a very tangible message to his disciples in this moment as he's walking and they're going to the garden. Up to this point, there was nothing about Judas. There was nothing about Judas that manifested the fact that he was fruitless and he was headed to hell. In fact, he would probably be up in, in the higher echelon of the, the disciples. He was the treasurer. He handled the money. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty secure about my, who's in my banking account. I, I, that's one of my things, right? I, I got to make sure bills are paid, that sort of stuff. But here is Judas. He's He's a money handler. He's a treasurer. There's nothing about him that points that he's going to be the one that doesn't abide. On the exterior, he looks like he's a follower of Christ. Judas was attached visibly to Jesus. However, it was superficial and an, an empty attachment. Um, it, is a, it was an attachment with no life, and that became evident when he no longer was abiding with Christ. It was like if we had a dead limb out in the yard out here, and we go over here, and whether you had some duct tape or some, some zip ties, it depends on what guy you talk to. Some engineers, they got zip ties for days. If it's like guys like me, we just got duct tape in the truck, and we're just going to wrap that thing up, right? So it would be like taking a branch that we find on the ground out here, and we, we attach it back to the, the branch of the tree, this limb that fell off of it. We're like, yeah, we expect that thing to produce fruit. It's attached to it. Well, not really. It's not connected to the root. It's, it's not getting the nutrients that it needs to produce fruit. And we, we would think that that's silly, but that's what happens many times with many people. They have a superficial exterior relationship with Christ, and yet they've never had the heart transformation. This has been a concern of our Lord. I would tell you, going back to John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast days, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. That sounds good, right? That sounds hopeful. Many believed because the miracles that he did. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 24 and 25. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. He needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus knows what's inside of our hearts. He knows if we're truly in him and if we're not. Um, Jesus knew their heart condition. They were not believing on him. They were believing in his miracles. Jesus knew that this was a false faith on many of their behalves. It was a superficial or empty faith. They, they wanted what they could get from Jesus, but they didn't want Jesus. Similarly, John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Um, if anything, this would be a miracle of epic proportions that only God could do. And I personally, I want to see it on like video when I get to heaven. I don't know if they have that, but it would be cool just to go back and see some of these things, right? And, and just to watch as Jesus multiplied and, and he, the fishes and he feeds the 5,000. And so who doesn't like a free meal? I'm da- like, I'm okay with a free meal. We'll go to Chipotle. We'll go somewhere. We'll get free food. Uh, we're Baptists. We like food. Um, but listen to verse 66. John chapter 6 verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This is after he feeds them. Well, my question is why? Why did they not walk with him anymore? In response to Jesus' preaching, not his miracles, they turned and walked away from him. They followed him no more. And Jesus went on to ask his disciples in verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, 
will ye also go away? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered at him, Lord, you see that, like, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where else can you go? He has the words of eternal life. They, they were true disciples. Um, the 11 were true disciples. And so John chapter 15, verse 2 tells us that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And so there are three distinguishing marks of a true branch, I would say, this morning. And what I mean by that, that there, there's three characteristics of these branches of a true believer. And what this means is that they bear fruit. We see that in John chapter 15, verse 2, 4, 5, and 8. Also, uh, which most clearly sets this most clearly sets them apart from unbelievers. Everything that's living is reproducing, right? Even if you're in here today and you say, well, I'm a teenager or I'm a young kid, and well, you have cells inside your body that are reproducing every second. Thousands of cells are dying and being reproduced every second. And so everything that's living, that is alive, reproduces. Secondly, these branches that are true branches, they also abide, they remain. They continue in Christ's love, verse 9 tells us. They operate in full cooperation with the source of life-keeping. Keeping Jesus' commandments, keeping God's commandments. By following the perfect example of Jesus who always, always obeyed the Father. And so God's word says obedience proves that a person's love for Christ is genuine. John chapter 15, or 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice it doesn't say, keep my commandments and you'll love me. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 23, same chapter, Jesus answered and said unto them, or unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so the branches do not, that do not bear fruit, they get cut off. It tells us in verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So these, these unfruitful branches that are not attached to the vine, they are cut off. What does that mean, that, that, that they're, they're removed? It means that they were not true disciples of Christ. They are not followers. They're not believers. And all true believers in Christ will bear fruit, the Bible tells us. John chapter 6, uh, Jesus promised that he will not cast away any true disciples. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And so we also see in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that uh, the sheep are his, and no man will pluck them from his hands. And so those that are truly in Christ will remain in Christ. The New Testament gives many examples of those who are outwardly attached to Christ, but they fail to possess a personal relationship with the Lord. They've been described as the following, tares amongst the wheat in Matthew chapter 13, verse 25 through 30. Bad fish that are thrown away, Matthew 13, 48. Goats condemned to eternal punishment, Matthew 25, verse 33 and 41. Those left standing on the outside when the, when the head of the house shuts the door in Luke chapter 13, verse 20 through 27. And so, these unbelievers, these people that are not attached to the vine, that are truly not saved, what happens to them when it talks about them being cut off and cast into fire? They are eternally separated from God. They are, they are eternally cast into a real place called hell. So one of those, uh, so the ones that don't bear any fruit, they get cut off. So then the question is, what happens to those of us that are in Christ? That remain. What happens to us? We get cut. Like we get we get pruned. And we'll unpack that now. But as you get cut back or you get pruned, you would say, Well, why is the Lord pruning those that are faithful? And the obvious answer is that so they will produce much fruit. They will produce more fruit. 
Um, the father prunes the branches by removing anything that would sap their spiritual energy and hinder them from being fruitful or having faithful results and being fruitful. So the question I ask in this moment is, how does God do this? How does God do his pruning? How does he do his purging? His pruning involves cutting away anything that limits righteousness, including discipline that comes from suffering and persecution. You say, I don't like that, 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 that suffering word, that persecution word. And so sometimes what God has to do is he brings hardships into our lives. I know in my own life, personally, when I've drawn nearer to the Lord, it's been in the difficult seasons of life, a loss of a loved one, um, hardships, uh, you know, whether that would be in marriage or, or um, just different aspects that we all deal with on a day-to-day basis just by being here. Sometimes for some of us, it's a job loss. And what he's trying to reveal through that job loss is our heart condition. Who are we depending upon to provide for us? I can build a lot of, a lot of stuff into um, my job. I can, I can uh, have a lot of confidence in myself and what I do, or ultimately, am I going to rest in his peace and that he is my provider and he will take care of my needs? And so suffering is, I would tell you, just the handle upon which the knife blade is attached. See, suffering and persecutions, they're like the sharpening stone that God sharpens his knife blade on before he prunes away at us. And what I mean by that is Psalm 119 verse 67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. And it was because of the affliction that he is now keeping, the psalmist is keeping God's word. Verse 71, it was good, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And so the psalmist is saying, it's good that I went through this affliction. Because of that, I have learned to meditate on the word of God. And I can tell you, anybody that's been in here that's battled a a life-threatening disease or been through a marriage that's on the rocks, nobody's saying, hey, sign me up for another round of that. They're just not. But those that have made it through on the other side of it, you can count God's faithfulness as being there during that whole time, that whole season. And And you draw near to God in those moments, and he's purging you so that you will produce more fruit. And so the affliction of suffering and persecution, like I said, is just the sharpening stone. Look what it says in John 15, 3. Now ye are clean through what? Through the word. Through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so it's God's word that does the cleaning. It does the purging. It cleanses us. Jesus said to his disciples, you are clean because you believed my word. Because they believe, not because they did anything, it's because they believe that he was the son of God, that he is the only way to heaven. Keep in mind, these brothers are about ready to deny Jesus. These, these disciples of Jesus are about ready to deny him. Peter's about ready to deny it three times, and the third time he's looking Jesus right in the face. I never knew that man. Yet Jesus is telling them before this that he is clean. It's the word of God that has a cleansing effect upon our lives. In Psalm 119.9, it tells us this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? So where can you go to cleanse your ways, the psalmist says? By taking heed thereto according to thy word, to the word of God. It is the word of God that does the pruning and the purging. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. It tells us this in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even unto the asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So Christ's words emphasize two important truths regarding our spiritual conduct. Look with me at verses four and five in John 15. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, 
except it abides in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bring forth much fruit. For with me you can do what? All things? Nothing. We cannot do anything apart from Christ. There's no such thing, as I said earlier, as a fruitless Christian. Believers cannot bear fruit on their own. And it's important to note, uh, there may be times in your walk as a Christian that there are lapses in being faithful uh, and producing fruit, and that's sometimes because sin has entered into our lives. Um, Not necessarily always sin. We can get distracted by the things of this world. And so we take our eyes off of Christ, and, and we get distracted by the things of this world, and we produce less fruit. But true branches cannot ultimately fail to produce fruit, I will tell you. Many of these images of of Christ and the believer that are given in the scriptures emphasize an important concept of union and communion. Uh, We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see that it's a body and its members. The bride and the bridegroom in Ephesians chapter 5. The sheep and the shepherd in John chapter 10. And a member of the body... Uh, that is cut off from the body and isn't surgically reattached, it dies. If it's not attached and it doesn't have the the life source of blood, of oxygen, it's going to perish. And so the shepherd brings the sheep into the flock, but the sheep must follow the shepherd in order to have protection and provision. A marriage is a union that God has brought together. But it takes daily love and devotion to maintain that communion or that that institution. And so the question is, what is fruit? If you're saying a Christian must bear fruit, Braden, then then what is fruit? And I'll tell you this, it's it's righteous thoughts, it's righteous attitudes, righteous longings, righteous desires, righteous affections. Righteous virtues, righteous behaviors. That is the manifestation of life and where the life of God exists. The fruit must be there. Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 11 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us this, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And James said that a faith without works is what? It's dead. And Jesus said in John, uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse sixteen, "Ye shall know them by their fruits." Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles? And so when we start to evaluate this fruit, you and I, we must be careful that we and how we define this fruit. And what I mean by that is if we start defining it in an external sense only, we're no different than the Pharisees. We are no different than the Pharisees if we're just basing upon external, hey, what is this person doing externally? The Pharisees, they, they did everything outwardly, but their hearts were open. It was a, a dead man's tomb on the inside. And so the Bible nowhere equates fruit with external behavior or external results. Instead, the scripture defines the fruit in terms of spiritual qualities. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. I would say this as well this morning. Notice that the text doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that the reason for this is is it's a symmetrical fruit. Now I'm going to tease this out a little bit this morning. Um, If you lack patience, can I say that you're probably not loving If you lack love, you're probably not walking in any real joy. And if you're lacking joy, you're probably lacking kindness. If you're lacking kindness, then you're 
probably not walking in goodness. And this, so we see that this fruit is symmetrical. They all are interchangeable. Uh, interchangeable. And so notice when I read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, there's not a person in here who's like, nailed it, brother. Got it all down. Thanks. I've been encouraged. I'm going. No need to hear any more of this message. I, I've got the fruit of the Spirit. I'm, I'm perfect. None of us are that way, myself included. We all are a work in progress. Uh, as pastor said many times, it's not the perfection, but the direction of our lives, right? And so notice, there's not any one person that has this down. It's not where we find ourselves. All of us, everyone in this room, myself included, is not where we once were, but we're ultimately not where we will ultimately be or even want to be in the day of glorification. We, eventually, we will be there in the, when we receive our glorified bodies. This is why the Lord in his kindness, he prunes away at us so that we may grow in these areas. Anybody ever pray for patience? That's a trick question, right? You pray for patience, God's going to test your patience. It always seems that way for me, at least anyways. Maybe, maybe not for some of you, but um, again, it, it's, it's this aspect of that we need to abide in Christ and that he will abide in us. Um, this is one of the greatest supernatural mysteries of what it means to be a Christian. This idea that uh, a union of Christ, that I am in him and he is in me. If you're a Christian, when God sees you, he, sees your, your, he doesn't see your disobedience. When we mess up and we all mess up, he doesn't say, oh man, I can't believe you did that again, Tom. He sees Christ's perfect righteousness. And when I mess up or when anybody messes up, he doesn't see us in our, in our disobedience and in our, in, our, in our faults, but he sees the perfect obedience of Christ. And this is hard for us to believe. And here's reason, one reason why I think that, and I'm going to step back because that's the word of God and this is just my opinion and what I see sometimes. Um, past eight years I've been in teen ministry. And uh, recently, this year, moved out of teen ministry. And I told the early service, I think it was like, my body parts are starting to fail, so it was probably a workman's comp issue. They didn't want me, like, getting hurt playing with the teenagers or something like that. Um, but one thing that I've noticed over the years in, in serving in, in teen ministry over the, the last uh, eight years was you'd see teens, they start to come to service. They'd invite their friends and have more teens come. And you see some teens that, that get serious about the Lord. And then while they're worshiping and they're really worshiping on God, they look across the room and they see the holiness on that brother or sister. And like, man, I like that holiness on that brother or sister. And they want to start pursuing and dating them. Obviously, it's, it's the attraction. It's, it's not the holiness. Uh, it may be, uh, but oftentimes it is the, the attractiveness of that person. And this pursuit begins. And then... They start to date, and you start to watch them, and they're all cute, and, and it's, sometimes it's sweet to watch. Most of the time, it's not. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I have noticed is during this time frame, uh, we'd start doing activities. We'd go on uh, you know, an event, and they'd want to sit by each other, get on the bus, and sit by each other, and it's like, hey, you guys need to separate. You need to leave room for Jesus and a King James study Bible in there. And plenty of room between y'all. And uh, the inevitable would come. There would be the breakup. They're no longer together. Where they once were sitting together right in the front row, notedly watching Pastor Josh preach, not in each other's eyes. Uh, but they, they, they're sitting there, and they're where they were once, one in the front row or over here on the left. You start to see and avoidance. They start to avoid each other. You may see one sitting on the far right, the other one on the far left. They're not talking to each other. Maybe one's in the 8.30, another one's in the 11 o'clock service. They don't even want to be around each other. <laughs> and uh, so they're, they're, they're just straying away from one another. Suddenly where the two used to be one, or they're, they're separated now. I can tell you this plays out in my house. When I get home at the end of the day, I can tell how my wife and my kids have interacted that day. 
if I get home and both kids, now I've got a teenage daughter, so it's a little different now, but when she was younger, you know, dad, you're cool, but now when they become teenagers, dad's not so cool. But anyways, um, they're like, you know, I get home, they're like, dad, they're running up, give me hugs. I'm like, what's up, noogies, stuff like that, um, especially with my son. But anyways, I could tell then if I got home and there's only one kid there, the other kid is nowhere to be found, or worst case scenario, nuclear option, both are in hiding. Means somebody said something, they popped off at the mouth, had a bad attitude, something like that. Mom had to snatch them up right before dad got home. And um, so they, they're, there's an avoidance when we tend to feel like we have wronged somebody. I'll say that again, there's an avoidance when we tend to feel like we've wronged someone. It's our human nature. Think about this. Back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what'd they do? They hid from God. They hid from him. They hid from God. They tried to avoid him. And can I tell you this today, Christian, and even those that are here that may not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have to hide from God. Even as a Christian, we do not have to hide from God. When we mess up, he doesn't want us to hide from him. He wants us to run to him. He's the prodigal father that's running to the, the, the he's running, he's the father running back to the prodigal son. Um, it's the beginning. It's because of our union with Christ that we don't need to avoid God. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so he does not ask you to, and can I say this, as many times as I've been out witnessing or in counseling situations, I can't tell you the number of times people are like, I just got to clean my life up before I can come to church or before I can um, step foot in there because the roof will fall in on me. Jesus doesn't say clean yourself up and then come. He says come so that I may clean you up. And so we, we have testimonies of that all across this church that just come, come as you are and he will do the cleansing. Dr. Tony Evans described it as the, uh, this uh, as far as abiding in Christ. A dinner plate left out overnight will be hard to clean in the morning. An alternate to scrubbing is soaking the dish in hot water and dishwashing liquid. Letting a dish abide in the solution will allow a hard cleaning job to become a lot easier. This is what abiding does for Christians. We are much easier to clean up when we've been hanging out in the right environment. Can I tell you this is the, the right environment to be hanging out in? And the body of believers is the right environment to be hanging out in. We, we need to be like Mary, who's just soaking in at the feet of Jesus. Religion says this, scrape off the dirt. It tells us to apply elbow grease to fix the problem. Relationship just says, hey, come and soak in me. Just sit at the hot water for a while and abide, and it will set you free. And so the fourth point today is, the power of love. There's a power of love that we see unfolding here in John 15. It says this in verse 8 through 10. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so God the Father loved the Son with the following type of love. It was a love that had no beginning. He's eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're eternal. There is no beginning to that love. There is no end to that love. It is a close and personal relationship. It's a personal love. The love was without measure between the Father and the Son. The love was unchanging as well. And can I tell you, Christ loves you just as much today as the Father loved the Son? If not careful, uh, we could read this text and, and, and read it in a wrong way and, and say that if I obey his commands, then I will abide in his love or he will love me. But as you grow in your, it's really, but as you grow in your love for me, then you will obey my commands, he tells us. If we get this wrong, we get that backwards, we're stepping outside of orthodox Christian faith. 
It's not do so you may be approved. It's not, hey, I do this so I can be approved of God and loved of God. It's love, so therefore you will do. And anybody that's in here today that's been married or is married, you understand this. And what I mean by this is is in my marriage, um, I can tell you that my parents did not set me up well for marriage. Not like it was all their, their responsibility. I'm not throwing it all on them. But what I mean is as, as a young man, as a, as a boy and a teenager, I could take a shower, get cleaned up, and leave all my dirty clothes and my towel in the bathroom. Just go about life. Life was good, right? Well, what happens when you become a, an adult man and you marry your wife and you're repeating the same problem, the same thing? Well, that's what I mean when my parents didn't set me up well. I love my parents, but they just didn't set me up well for marriage. They, 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 they didn't set good boundaries for me. And so then when Brianna and I get married, I'm doing the same thing. Dirty clothes, bath towel on the floor in the bathroom, and I would get this. Hey, Braden, can you come here for a minute? Sure. Walk over there. What's this? Now let me just tell some of you young bucks, newlyweds, getting ready to be married, Mogan. This is this is a trap. It's not like she, Duncan, this is a trap. She literally didn't forget that that's a towel. I'm not the smartest person in the room, not the brightest crown in the box. I'm like, it's like, what is that? I'm like, it's a towel. <laughs> no, honey, that's not what I'm asking. Why is that there? Just always done that my whole life. Now, let me put this in perspective. Every day since then, I've hung that towel up. I, didn't, I don't go and, and hang that towel up and be like, oh, you know what? I'm just not really feeling love for Brianna much. I don't think she loves me much. You know what will make that right? I'll go hang the towel up and do this so that she will love me and that I will love her. No, I hang that towel up every single day out of respect and love for her. And I've got many other faults that I'm still working on. But it's I get to do because I love. I love, so therefore I do. And so make sure, Christian, that we're doing what we do for Christ out of love, not out of obligation. He doesn't, he doesn't want an obligatory giver. He doesn't want you to you know, feel obligated. He wants, because you love him and what he's done for you, therefore you will abide and do his commands. And so the last, you know, the last thing today is the blessings for abiding. You know there's blessings for abiding in Christ. And you say, why should I stay? Why should I abide? And the first benefit is fruitfulness. We see that in verse 4. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Verse 5, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You know, God doesn't want us just to be somewhat fruitful. He wants us to be very fruitful. The world's dying and going to hell. And he's looking for laborers in his harvest field. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest field. He wants us to be fruitful for him. Secondly, the whole premise and why Jesus, who's getting ready to leave his disciples, and he's saying, hey, I will abide in you, and you will abide in me. The whole premise of all this is in verse 11. If you have your Bibles in front of you, it says this, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be what? Full. The devil comes to seek, to steal, to destroy. Jesus comes to give us abundant life, and he wants our joy to be full. This is the proof that you are a true branch. You have a fruit of endurance. You have patience through trials. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meek, temperance. 
Against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. And none of us would in here and say, no, Jesus, I don't want any more goodness. I don't want any more joy. You keep it. No, we, we want that. We want more of those things. The idea of, of abiding in Christ and remaining in Christ from salvation to sanctification. Let me draw this out a little bit. The more you abide in the presence and the knowledge and love of God and be obedient to Christ, the more fruitful you will become. The more you focus on Christ, the more faithful you will become. The more you focus on self, the less fruitful you will become. Uh, you will be um, focused with the things of this world. And so we need to stir what cultivates our affections for the Lord. And be on guard for what saps our affections or what takes that away. And make sure those are being purged so that we can love and that we can serve him. One of the things for me that I've had to put a, a, a cutoff on is sports. For you, sports may not be an issue. But for me, it was a false idol for so long in my life that I've had to be cautious and cut some of those things off because it was stealing and robbing my joy and serving the Lord. And for a 20-year-old boy on a football field to drop a ball to ruin my whole Saturday is silly. I mean, honestly, like, it would ruin my Saturday. Like, it, it's silly. It's a game. There's far more important things out there that are going on, people dying and going to hell, and I'm worried about a 20-year-old who dropped a ball. So these are things, and you may say, hey, I've, I've got that perfectly balanced. That's good. I'm just telling you, I cannot do that. I have to cut those things off. I need to remember Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, can I tell you the planet Mercury is hot? Pluto is cold. We can't define it as a planet anymore. It's been redefined like other things in the world being redefined all these days. Uh, but Mercury is close to the sun, S-U-N. And Pluto is, is a long way off. The farther you get away, the colder things become. But the closer you get, the hotter things become. Maybe some of you in here today are, are like Mercury. You're on fire for God. Maybe some of you in here today are Pluto, and you're not even in a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you today are here, and you're an earth. You're seasonal. You have seasons of, of being on fire for God and being cold for the things of God. <clears throat> Can I tell you that God is looking for some mercury Christians? He wants folks who want to get close to him, that want to abide in him, stay close to the S-O-N, son. And we need to lose ourselves in his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. And so in closing today, this is a, it's a convicting, you know, as I was studying this week, I was convicted of things in my life that I have to, to make sure that I'm on fire for God, that I'm abiding in him, that I'm drawing closer to him. But this is a powerful and convicting passage of scripture. The question is, are you abiding in the vine today? Have you been saved by the grace of God and grafted into his vine? If so, is your life producing fruit? Maybe the Spirit has revealed some areas in your life, in my life, that need to be dealt with this morning. Bring those before the Lord this morning, I will tell you. Allow Him to tenderly prune and cut back those areas, enabling you to be more productive again for Him. If you have never been saved, you're, you need to be attached to the vine. You need to be saved today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You need to come to Christ today as He leads you to salvation. If you would stand with me as the musicians come. Maybe there's some things that the Lord's laid on your heart this morning. The altars are open, but I want to ask a question this morning. Are you connected to the vine? Are you truly connected to the vine? Is it you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? you see fruit of evidence of that in your life? Would you just, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, say, Braden, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Would you just give an uplifted hand to the testimony that you know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior?
awesome. See those hands? Put them down. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Brayden, I don't know that I've ever truly placed my trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I don't know that heaven would be my home. If that's you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just give an uplifted hand? I'm not going to call anyone out. I just want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Brayden, I've got some areas that need some pruning, some purging, some areas that I've been convicted of. If that's you this morning, would you just give an uplifted hand? My hand is up with you. I've got areas in my life I need to clean up as well. Have Jesus clean up. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. We thank you for Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would work through this invitation, deal with hearts as you would. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.